deserves our praise and our worship. Whose goodness has been proved by sending your Son on the cross, dying for our sins, resurrecting for our salvation, preparing a place in heaven for us. And Lord, if you'd have stopped there, that'd have been too much already. But you give us breath and you abide with us and you love us. Not only have you done the impossible saving of wretched people, but you comfort us. You heal us. You give us hope. You strengthen us. You gird our loins, Lord. You empower us. Give us a desire for longing for you. So much that you do. And so truly we say, oh God, no eye has seen. No ear has heard. God has in store. So we're eager to hear what you would say to us through your precious word. We're eager to hear what you would speak to us today. And so speak, O oh God. For we do pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well done. There come crisis points in all of our lives where we look up to heaven and wonder, God, do you care at all about me? Not about the world. Not about the church. Not about the nations. But where we go, God, do you care at all about me? Those kinds of crises come in all of our lives from time to time. They come when a doctor comes to you and says, your prognosis is worse uh, than we thought. Those moments come when a spouse says, I think this is the end of our line. Those crises come when a loved one whom you said goodbye yesterday after the party is found dead. Crises come to all of our lives. They come to the hard-working employee who receives a pink slip. Not because of anything he's done, but because of a downsize. Those crises come when the person we were courting or dating... Uh, 
proves themselves unfaithful. Those crises come when there's a a temptation that we continually fall under. And we wonder, they're getting freedom. Why can't I? When the crisis comes, the knee-jerk reaction is to go to God. And I think it happens for all of us. God, do you care about me? Now, God knows that each one of us are frail and weak. He knows that each one of us will go through moments when the crisis hits and will ask the question, God, do you care about me? So he placed in his word many, many different places where our heroes, the people that we would say, these are giants in the faith, where these men express the crisis. Now, if you're here today, you're coming in on week two of a new series we're doing called No Doubt. And we're speaking about how doubt uh, affects our lives and how to deal with doubt and how to address it. And so, we want to know doubt. Yes, we want to uh, learn about doubt. We want to be informed about doubt. But we also want to say no and say, you know what? Doubt, while it may come in, we're not going to submit our lives to doubt. We're going to submit our lives to Jesus. Now, remember what we said in terms of definition? Doubt is... What is doubt? Doubt is the distance between what God is doing, and we're going to call this line right here, what God is doing, and where I ex- what I expect God to do. So, the distance between what God is doing and what I expect God to do, that's called doubt. Big gap, lots of doubt. Small gap, less doubt, no doubt, right? So what we want to do is we want to get to know who God is so our expectations are congruent with who He is and not centered on ourself. Does that make sense? So we learned that last week and I encourage you, listen, you can listen to the, uh, uh, listen to the sermon by going on our podcast by going on our website, rhowbk.org. Is that right? rhowbk.org. And you can do it um, in several different ways. If, you don't, if you're not that technically savvy and you just want a CD, um, you can purchase one for about three bucks uh, in the back in the sound booth. Today we're going to look at when we doubt in a crisis. And since all of us have been there, we don't have to spend too much time loading what a crisis means. A crisis is any place you find yourself where you go to God and you say, God, do you care about me? Today, we're going to look at a man whose ministry I've been deeply moved by. He's 
he's been my friend for a long time. Um, he's mentored me for a long time. Jeremiah was a prophet uh, who seemed to not have a ministry like everybody else. His ministry was filled with mocking. His ministry was filled with no results. If Jeremiah was a pastor today, he'd have 15 people in his church. He'd always be worried about the bills. No leader would ever rise up. If Jeremiah was a pastor today, nobody would ask him to speak in a conference. Nobody would ask him for advice. In fact, he would look like a failure. Jeremiah simply went to the people and told them the truth about God. Unfortunately for Jeremiah, the word of God that Jeremiah had to preach was not good. You know how we sometimes can go to different places to hear pastors preach about how everything is supposed to go perfect? Yeah, Jeremiah would have gotten no airtime with those pastors. Jeremiah said, death is coming. You've rebelled against God. You're a wicked people. Repent. Maybe God will be merciful. But so you know, doom is coming. It was just that simple. That was his message. You could imagine how well that went. And so he suffered a great deal. He got beaten. He got mocked. He got betrayed by his friends. He got tormented. God told him it would happen this way. At the very beginning of his call, God, God told Jeremiah, this is what's going to happen to you. You're going to be mocked and beaten. It's not going to go well. No one's going to pay attention to you. Sometimes in many ways I feel like Jeremiah. Especially when I speak about sex. And some of the guys just woke up. Um, when I talk about certain subjects, people are like, oh, you're a fuddy-duddy. You're an old, you know, you're a, the pastor. Of course you're supposed to say that. And yet, here's God's Word, which is eternal and perfect and beautiful. And we esteem. And this is what God's Word says. And so, what happens to Jeremiah is what happens to pastors today. People ignore people. But Jeremiah, man, he was thrown in a cistern. He was abused. And after one of those abusive beatings, right after that, Jeremiah prays a prayer that is extra strength. We're going to read part of the prayer. You can read the whole thing as you go home. Um, but we're going to go to Jeremiah chapter 20. Because remember, God knows that you and I will go through crisis. And in those crises, God knows we'll need His Word. So He gave us an example in Jeremiah. One of the traditions we have in this church is to stand at the reading of God's Word because we reverence it so. So I asked Sam. I'm going to read verses 7 through 11. 
Okay? You deceived me, Lord, and I was deceived. You overpowered me and prevailed. I am ridiculed all day long. Everyone mocks me. Talk about an opening prayer. Whenever I speak, I cry out proclaiming violence and destruction. So the word of the Lord has brought me insult and reproach all day long. But if I say I will not mention His word or speak any more in His name, His word is in my heart like a fire. A fire shut up in my bones. I'm weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. I hear many whispering terror on every side. Denounce Him. Let's denounce Him. All my friends are waiting for me to slip, saying, perhaps He will be deceived. Then we will prevail over Him and take our revenge on Him. But the Lord is with me like a mighty warrior. So my persecutors will stumble and not prevail. They will fail and be thoroughly disgraced. Their dishonor will never be forgotten. May God bless the hearing and the reading of His Word. Jeremiah, like you and like me, finds himself at a breaking point where he can no longer take the pressure. He's been faithful. He's done what God's wanted him to do. He's obeyed God more than you and I will ever obey God. He has taken more risks. He has said yes more frequently. He has honored God more fervently. His heart has been dedicated to God more righteously. And God has let him down. And he's gone to his breaking point. Because all the other pastors said that if you obey God, everything is going to go your way. And that if you do God's will, good things happen. And that if you just grease God's palm with your goodness, He will give you the box seats every time. And when Jeremiah finds out that when you grease God's palm with your goodness, sometimes you find yourself in the sewer. I know that a lot of us don't even have a compartment in our minds for a God like that. We want nothing to do with that God. God, I did everything right with these kids. I I, I brought them to church. I did everything right. You should have them behaving better than this. God, I did everything right with my body. You should not give me. You should take these aches away. God, I loved my wife. She should have been faithful. God, I did everything that the boss asked me to do. They should have kept me on. It's not fair that they kept that guy. Everybody knows that the safest place in the world is the center of God's will, right? 
And Jeremiah finds out that that's utterly untrue. There's pain. There's loss. But Jeremiah has another thing that's going on, along with the suffering that's happening in his life. He has this thing, this mystical thing that we can't really define right now, but it's powerful. It's, it's, it's something, it's a driver, it's a mover in life. It's this thing called, and it's a religious word, and so, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it has a different meaning in the context that I'm using it than what you have, what we would use in a regular uh, setting. It's this mystical thing that when you receive it, it's like precious gold. It's this mystical thing that if you're ever lucky, and most people in life never open themselves up to receive. They're too scared of it. That's how powerful this thing is. It's this thing called God's call. And it's precious. It's the call of the God of the universe for a specific task in a particular place. And if you're ever graced enough to receive, you've hit the lottery. It's the greatest, there's nothing greater than God's call. And so he receives this call, and he doesn't know. And it's in fulfilling this call, being obedient to this call, being obedient to the ministry that God has given him. It's in that call that he finds his greatest misery, his greatest pain, his most difficult tasks. And that's where we find our brother. In a crisis... Doubting God's goodness. Doubting if God cares at all. Jeremiah opens his prayer with something that I, I almost feel like he's cursing God. When you see this in the Hebrew, it's, it's hard for me to speak because it's almost like he's cursing God. He says this, You deceived me, Lord, and I was deceived. You overpowered me and prevailed. Let's just pause for a second. This word deceive is the same word that the Hebrew, the Old Testament Bible uses for seducing a virgin and taking advantage of her. What Jeremiah is saying is you've taken a young, you've treated me like an older, more experienced gentleman would treat a young woman manipulating her into his bed only to kick her out before the morning comes. You seduced me, you could say. I want you to see the depth of that. Because last week, do you remember when we started this series? We said that the solution in dealing with doubt is to going to Jesus. Not, not embracing our doubt. Not massaging our doubt. Not cuddling our doubt. But taking it to Jesus. And what you'll discover 
is that that's what this entire prayer is about. And that God is a big boy. And there's no prayer that you can pray that God won't listen to in terms of when you hit a crisis. And so God knows how you feel. God knows where your heart is. So there's no point in faking it with Him. There's no point in trying to be more mature than you are. You know what happens to people who try to act more mature than they are? They don't last. They, 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 they run away. They find something else to do. Why would you do that? Jeremiah starts off an extra strength prayer with an almost makes me nervous to read sentence. Because he knows that in the end God truly loves him. And that God won't strike him down, but that God will hear these prayers. God, I'm so mad at you. I have this tendency to have same-sex attractions and I can't get rid of them. I'm so angry at you. You screwed up. God, I'm so angry with you. I'm married to this person and they showed me one face before the wedding rudder and now I've got another person to deal with and it's feel, I feel like a bait and switch. You told me to marry this person. God, you're like a car salesman. You bait and switch. You say, do this, and then I do it, and it's a nightmare. There's a sense that when the crisis hits, we need to get on our knees. And this is the big idea. That when the crisis of our souls hits, the crisis of whether God cares, our answer is in the cross. That's the big idea for today. The answer is not in your circumstance. It's not in how you feel. It's not in the emotions you're experiencing. The answer is in the cross. Jeremiah gets to his knees and calls out to a God an extra strength prayer. You should too. Verse 8. Whenever I speak, I cry out proclaiming violence and destruction. So the word of the Lord has brought me insult and reproach all day long. Do you feel that? It's the, it's the very thing that God has called him to do. It's, it's, it's the very thing that God has called him to do. It just... So you're comfortable there. I mean, just... None of us have lived this deeply with God, so we don't emotionally feel what Jeremiah is going through. Just imagine this. You're in your living room. You're watching TV. Everything is going fine. You got your job, you got your family, you have your TV dinner. Nothing is wrong. You're living your life. 
day to day like you always have. Then you bump into an old friend by chance. That friend talks to you about Jesus. You give your heart over to Christ. And all hell breaks out. And you go, I was better off watching TV. There's a, a gentleman early on in our ministry. We've changed, man, we've changed names more times than, than some people have changed socks, really. Um, we used to be the Brooklyn Lighthouse. Anybody remember Lighthouse days, right? There's a few of us, right? Brooklyn Lighthouse. Back in the Brooklyn Lighthouse day, there was what I thought was one of the handsomest guys who ever walked in here. His name is Rick Moses. Rick Moses. He's a great guy. Loves Jesus. Is serving Jesus till this day. But Rick Moses was the executive and the head of Urban Music at Sony. Alicia Keys, before she hit it super big, was signed to Sony. Then they signed her off to uh, somebody else. Uh, she was about 16 years old. She had a crush on Rick Moses. And Rick Moses couldn't do anything because he was married and she was 16. Right? That's Rick Moses. That's success. He'd have conversations with Maxwell. You, you get what I'm saying? This is a person who is with movers and shakers, right? And some of you old people are going, who's Maxwell? And it's like, yeah. Um, okay, so, um, so he's in charge of urban music, right? Like, you know, uh, urban music. He has a beautiful wife. Precious little baby girl. Everything is going fine. He's got the money. He's got the car. He's got the girl. He's got the family. It's cool. Then he bumps into Raymond. (laughs) And it ruined his life. Not bumping into Raymond, but, but listen to me. So he bumps into Raymond. He starts going to our Bible study. Oddly enough, he actually starts coming to a, what I think is one of the best prayer meetings, um, series of prayer meetings I've ever known. I love those prayer. I used to leave those prayer me- meetings sweating and winded. Like, that's a prayer meeting, right? The prayer meetings that we have, right, where everybody's just like silent and napping, pretending like they're praying, is not a prayer meeting. It's not a prayer meeting. These, these were roll up your sleeves, I think God has a hearing aid and he's far off kind of prayer meetings. Um, they were awesome. And Rick came to Christ in that atmosphere. How could you not? And so, he gave his heart to Christ And he started to have great friction with his wife. And then fights. She wanted nothing to do with Jesus. He started to tithe and that was her last straw. She filed for divorce. We, every one of us, prayed and said, No, this can't happen. See, I was too young to know about call. I was too young to know 
about the price one pays. I hadn't yet been tested. I really thought that the safest place in the world is the center of God's will. And I said, this can't happen. You just came to Christ. This will be fine. And so we prayed and we fasted and we prayed and we prayed and we prayed. And the divorce went through. That was terrible and he had to get used to the new normal. But his wife wasn't satisfied with just divorcing him. She had to move her daughter several states away so that he could only see her very few times. Soon after that, uh, the people at Sony uh, decided to let him go. And in many ways, he still hasn't recovered financially from that. You see, there's a sense where this is, and like, right, and so, right, if you're new, I am so glad you're here. If you're here for the first time, I'm elated that you're here. So that, listen, nothing up my sleeves, man. But that's not the message that makes us want to come to Christ, does it? The message that makes us want to come to Christ is that if you come to Christ, He'll fix your marriage. If you come to Christ, He'll fix your finances. If you come to Christ... In other words, the point of coming to Christ is to get something from Christ. But let me tell you, Christ is His own reward. And sometimes, He's the only reward. I was doing exactly what you wanted me to do. I was speaking the word that you brought me. Listen to that. So the word of the Lord, the word that God gave me, it's brought me insult and reproach all day long. But if I say, I will not mention His word or speak any more in His name, His word is in my heart like a fire. A fire shut up in my bones. I'm weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. So here's what happened. Jeremiah couldn't take it anymore. The crisis got too great and so he quit. Jeremiah said, I can't do it anymore. So he stopped. I can't. I can't go on any further. I can't do this anymore. So, Jeremiah hadn't learned a lesson yet. And so he said, that's it. I don't care. You gave me a word. I'm not saying it. I'm going back to farming. And we don't know how long he did that for. A day, a week, a month, a year, a decade. I don't know. But Jeremiah quits. And so he comes back to God with this prayer that starts with, you deceived me. And now he's telling him, I've tried to hold it in, but I can't. Literally, and I'm not cursing, okay? The next sentence I'm going to say is not a curse. I'm saying that Jeremiah is literally saying this. He's saying this in the most biblical way. He's saying, I am damned if I do. And damned 
if I don't. I am sentenced to suffering if I do your will. And I am sentenced to suffering if I don't. It's like a fire shut up in my bones. But that's what calls do. When God calls you, whether it's to a family, or God calls you to a, a, a particular task, or God calls you to a job, or God calls you to a ministry, or God calls whatever it is to a particular mission field. When God calls you, it's undeniable. You won't find peace. In fact, when people pray for peace, Sometimes I pray the opposite for them. I go, your problem is that you want peace without obedience. And I won't pray that for you. I pray that you have a nervous breakdown. I pray that you turn to Christ. I pray that it gets so rough for you that you turn back to Christ and His will. Because here's the deal, folks. Suffering's going to happen. Do you know that suffering's going to happen? Can I, does anybody know that suffering's going to happen, right? Yeah, suffering's going to happen. So here's a clue. Why don't you suffer doing the very thing that you were put on this earth to do? Because God only calls people to do what He put them on this earth to do. I hear many whispering terror on every side. Denounce them. Let's denounce them. All my friends are waiting for me to slip, saying, perhaps he will be deceived. Then he will prevail over him and take our revenge. Jeremiah had friends that he was, they were companions. And you know how important friends are when you're doing a tough call from God? You know, you know how important friends are? They're like gold. They're priceless. Right? Jeremiah's friends had left. The very people he would go to for comfort and go, yo, Jeremiah, I'm on your side. Everybody else is a hater. I'm a fan. Everybody else is a critic. I'm a supporter. You go, you know, this is so important. Like, um, I have, I have this, right? Um, I have the elders, right? Uh, Pedro, Claudio, Gus, Raymond. The elders, they're just like, you know, I can't tell you how many times I blow it, right? I blow it more times than you think. Um, or maybe you know exactly how many times I blow it and you're familiar with it. Um, my wife is a fan. She's just a supporter, you know? We all need that. Don't you need that? Yeah, yeah those guys turned away. The only people that he had supporting they turned away. Now, one of them we know repented and came back to Jeremiah as a friend. But at this time, that hadn't happened. Jeremiah's feeling, listen to me, I wonder if you ever felt this way. He's feeling all alone. He's feeling left by himself. He's feeling like nobody loves him. And there's nothing, no one understands. And nobody loves him. I must be crazy. Or you don't care. Verse 11. This is great. But the Lord is with me like a mighty warrior. 
so my persecutors will stumble and not prevail. Okay. I'm, I'm just going to read that little portion and we're done with the scriptures. I'm going to give you an application you're going to go home, okay? All right. Listen to me. Jeremiah, when he went through his crisis, he went through his crisis the way me and you go through our crisis. Schizophrenic. Right? When I go through my crisis, this is what it looks like. God, it feels like you don't even care about me. Man, but I know you love me. I mean, I know you do, but, but what are you thinking? And, and, you know, but, you know, and he goes back and forth. If you read 7 through 18, he literally goes, God, what the heck are you doing? Then, but God, I know you're on the throne. And then he reverts back to, kill me. <laughs> no kidding. He literally says, he literally says, may, may the man who heralded my birth be cursed. Think about that for a second. You know the guy who comes into the room and says, it's a boy, have a cigar. It's a boy, have a cigar. It's a boy. Yeah, curse that guy. Curse that guy. The cigar guy, curse him. Curse the, the womb, the mother. That, like, he goes back to that. Let me tell you what the lesson is here. When you're in a crisis, you will go up and down, up and down, up and down if your focus is your circumstance. When you're in a crisis and you focus on your circumstance, you will not find rest. But the lesson that we're going to learn today, the lesson that we've learned already from Jeremiah, God's Word, listen, the lesson that we learned is that when we're in a crisis, it's the cross that we point to. When you're when your crisis is about God's care, go to the cross. Ask yourself, how much care does it take for a God to come from heaven to earth to live the life that you should have lived and die the death that you so deserve to die with every breath forgive you of all of your wickedness. We're not calling them mistakes anymore. It was wicked. Forgive you of all of your wickedness. Because that's the unchanging thing. That's the proof of God's love. Do you know that the proof of God's love is not the job that you got? Do you know that the proof of God's love is not the health that you're experiencing? Do you know that the proof of God's love is not the marriage that's going well? Do you know the proof of God's love is not the health that you're enjoying? Do you know that the proof of God's love is none of the things that we thank God for? The only, most valuable, supreme proof of God's love is God dying on the cross for our sins on Calvary. It's the king of the universe who gets asked the question, you love these people? How much? And then he spreads out his arms, gets nailed to the cross, and dies. 
If it wasn't for the cross, I couldn't prove God's love. Because good happens to the, to the righteous and the unrighteous. And bad happens to the righteous and the unrighteous. I'm grateful for God's favor. God has given me more than I deserve. I'm wicked. You should know this about me. I'm wicked. But God's love has prevailed. And this wicked guy gets to be with God forever because his love prevailed. And you get to be. Not because you're good. But because he's good. And so God, see the problem is, here's what Satan wants to do. What Satan wants to do is get you to focus in on your circumstance. I don't see anything good in this, Pastor Edwin. It's terrible. I don't see anything good in this. And, and my first response is, for Christ's sake, look up. Look up. Look up. No, you're going to have to tell me what good. You say that God is good and He can't help but give me His very best. I don't see any good in this circumstance. It's because you look, look up. God's care is not found in the crisis. It's found in the cross. So as we go on tomorrow, and we go on this week, you're going to get a pink slip. Your spouse is going to upset you. The person that you plan to marry is not going to walk down the wedding rudder. The health is going to get worse. I'm not pronouncing curses over you. I'm just telling you, that these things are going to happen in the lives of others. And if you don't hear it here, you'll be surprised when it happens. And I need you to apply this to your life. The deal that you worked so hard for is going to fall through. The client you were supposed to get, you don't. The... The college that you were applying for denies you. A crisis is going to come. And when the crisis comes, God's care is not found in the crisis. It's found in the cross. As the worship leaders come forward. Let's pray. Father, we come to you as people who desperately need to know you. Lord, if the truth be told, in the crisis, all we do is look at our circumstances. And Lord, as long as Satan has us do that, we'll never find your grace, your truth. But Lord, would you give us the grace to meditate on the cross? Would you give us the grace to look up? Would you give us the grace to ponder on the love that it must have took for Jesus to die for our sins?
Lord, I pray for the people here who have never submitted their lives unto Christ. The people who've been living life as if you're just someone to say hello to every now and again. Lord, my prayer is that you would convict them of sin. Draw them to Christ. Lord, for the new people who are here to be kind of shocked at what they heard today. To have a compartment in their mind for what we talked about. I pray, oh God, that you would minister to them now. That you would give us wisdom to know how to apply this message. That you would remind us when crisis of God's care comes, we're to look at the cross. Meditate on the sacrifice that you've made for us not our circumstances. So we might find joy in you rather than the stuff that's going on around us. Give us grace to do what we've just heard. For we do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.